Welcome back to Love Life and Legacy, the podcast dedicated to helping you navigate these hypersexualized times. And in today's episode, Benji and I are talking about child rearing. And although Benji nor I can claim to have brought a child into this world through our bodies, we were definitely a part of the experience on numerous occasions together with our wives. And we wanted to give the male's perspective on childbirth because, of course, we play a secondary role, but it's an important second. I mean, come on. We're not just useless turds anymore. We're valuable members of a family when this is happening. So it's a talk that a lot of people don't get. We don't get to talk about the scary aspects and the confusing aspects and the joyful aspects of birth. It just kind of happens to many people. So we just wanted to unpack it a bit for your sake and for the sake of helping you understand how important dealing with your emotions, dealing with your sexual integrity is while you're single because it allows you to be very present in giant important events like this in your subsequent life. So let's get into it. Welcome back, everybody. Please welcome back my compatriot, Bojai. Hey, guys. Really good to be here. Yeah, nice to see you again. So for everybody who's not reading the National Enquirer, Benji just had a baby. Yes. I just... Big news. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. Did you smoke a cigar? No, I... No. <laughs> <laughs> so I just found out my mom was just visiting and I found out that my dad never smoked. But back when I was born, it was still like a thing, a legit tradition to smoke a cigar if you had a baby. It used to be big in the 50s and 60s, but then apparently it was still around in the 80s when I was born. But he didn't smoke. So instead he got black licorice cigars for everybody and they just chewed on black licorice cigars, which is to me a lot cuter than killing yourself with cancer. But anyway, we should grab some licorice cigars and celebrate. So our baby just was born on September 9th. Our next child is about six years old, almost six years old. So there's a big gap between them. And it's weird being a family of four and then growing another person after being four for so long. Does that make sense? Like your youngest yeah. is four now, right? Ozzy's four. So yeah. if you have that, which is kind of not so typical for a family to have such a large gap, especially in our face, right? at least the people I know in my circle. So it's kind of like out of place, like an alien. Like we just grew another arm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like you have yeah. two arms your whole life and then you feel like you're growing another arm. So it's definitely different. The kids are fantastic. They're really helpful. I really noticed more than anything, I've noticed how I've changed in the last six years since our daughter Ira was born. I'm a lot more mellow. During the delivery, I was a lot more chill, just like cool. Like, this is great. This is exciting. I wasn't so nervous. My wife almost died. And I don't exaggerate saying that she lost so much blood. This is not very typical, by the way, guys. But she lost so much blood that she had to get a transfusion of two liters of blood. And there was like eight people in the delivery room during the delivery. And I didn't even notice. I was like, why are there so many people? And they don't really tell you, right? They just kind of like are really chill. And they're like, all right, now we need to do this transfusion. Please sign these documents saying that we're allowed to do this. <laughs> And I didn't realize until midway through this procedure that I was like, wow, this is how people die. This is how people die in childbirth. Is they eat so much blood that they just go pale white and pass away. And then I'm really grateful that we have professionals doing this. And I, <laughs> I was just like, wow, I'm glad we're not doing a home birth. I can never do that. 
yeah. And then anyways, everything worked out at the end and everyone's happy and healthy. So can't complain. Well, you could if you wanted to, but it's not helpful. So I wanted to get into that. So let's frame today's conversation because we're the sex people. We talk about sex a lot. And one positive repercussion of sex is creation of life, making humans in other humans. And Benji and I, speaking strictly as biological males, will never be able to have children. And so our experience is limited to being the husband and the future father of a child that's being born. There's some clear limitations as to what we can talk about. And we're not trying to take any credit because it largely is women risking their lives to give birth. But it's not like we're doing nothing either, especially if you care. So we wanted to talk about especially how much it helps to do emotional work on yourself, spiritual work on yourself, sexual integrity work on yourself prior to having a baby because it can be so intense that it's really one of those moments in life where it's like a test. Did you do your homework? Your homework being, are you able to get through what could be perceived as a crisis? It's like this momentary blip. All of your senses become very sharp and acute because it's all about survival in that moment. So. I wanted to unpack what it's like to be a dude during a childbirth experience before, during, and a little bit after, because it has everything to do with sex and it has everything to do with your own personal wherewithal and how much work you've done on your internal version of yourself. So you said, Benji, that this time around you were a lot more relaxed, but it also simultaneously in the same story sounded very (laughs) intense. Was it you are aware of the intensity of the situation? You just didn't freak out? Or what did you bring to the table during this birth experience? Great question, Andrew. Comparing myself from six years ago, our other child, I've noticed, especially the first few weeks of the newborn, I remember being so angry all the time and stressed and frustrated and tired and really letting it get to me. And I remember, I think every parent can relate to this, just like vigorously trying to put my baby to sleep just getting more and more agitated and more violently, not shaking, but like going up and down. And for some reason, babies don't like when you sit down with them. And I was just remembering that like six years ago. And I was like, I don't feel that anymore. I don't have that anymore. And I've been asking the same questions. What has changed? And I think relating this to my personal growth and sexual integrity, I think that a lack of sexual integrity is one of the most largest tragedies in history that's contributed fundamentally to self-centeredness throughout all families in society. And it really comes down to the family. And I think that the more I've developed my own ability to have self-control and mastery and sexual integrity and just be comfortable in my own skin and be happy with my own sex life, even though it's been up and down roller coaster, it's translated beautifully this time around into being a more selfless person and thinking not of myself first, but thinking about my wife and my children first. So the needs of me of like, oh no, my, my wife might die. I didn't let that get to me this time. Like, oh, my wife is like getting stressed out, but I was really more present with her and able to help her through that delivery. And even now after the baby's few weeks old, being able to wake up at night, hold the baby, care for her, that sort of thing. And also take care of the older kids as well simultaneously. I think that ability to transfer the selflessness that is required by people that have sexual integrity translates beautifully into being a family, having a child, being in a marriage and being a good citizen of the world, society. So that's really what I've learned. And I just talked with someone yesterday 
who wants to join the Spartan program, right? Because I talk with everyone that joins the Spartan program. And she's 31 years old. And I asked him, he's married, right? And I asked him, what has porn taken away from your life? What has it taken away from you? And where could you have been at this point in your life? And he almost in tears, he said, I probably would have been a parent by now if porn wasn't in my life. And he said that really often, I probably would have had kids. And he said, I think that this is the single reason why I don't have kids yet. My wife and I, even though they've been married for a number of years, is because I feel this up and down emotional roller coaster all the time because of his porn habit, or rather because of his insecurities and fears and emotional turmoil that porn causes for people. This black sexual entirety causes for people. And he was really tearing up because he was kind of realizing while we we're talking that it's affected him so much that he can't even progress in his life. He can't even feel confident enough to have a child because he feels selfish. And I think that really is what comes down to it is when you have no sexual integrity, it is self-centered. It's about the self. And as long as he's like that, he's like, I can be a parent. I don't want to. And that's really it, right? Of course, anyone can be a parent or most people can at least. Well, he wants to, but he doesn't want to at the same time. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. He can't imagine yet bringing someone to the world that he can't fully love and be there for. Or he doesn't feel confident in doing it, right? So I'm in the process of helping him have confidence and have stability in his emotional state. So he's not just up and down all the time and, and just depressed one day and then happy the next day. Anyways, good question, Andrew. <laughs> so back in the day, men weren't even allowed in the room when their wives were having babies. That's, by the way, only in the West and only very recently in history because it was just the hospitalization version of having a baby where everything was separate. And so the men weren't allowed in the room with the woman. So they were just kind of sitting out, waiting for things to happen, being like, what's taking so long? I got a game to watch or whatever, whatever the case may be. But now we're usually a part of the experience. It's usually encouraged that we're around as a support system. But what energy are you bringing? Because they've been finding that the amount of anxiety that a woman experiences during pregnancy impacts the growth of the child in her. Also, when the woman is giving birth, it impacts the experience, how stressed she is versus how relaxed she is. And then for the rest of her life, especially in the early stages of a child's life, how stressed out the mother is impacts that kid so much. But how stressed out that mom is, is also what is the dude bringing to the table? So during this experience, you just had a baby, like you were in a more relaxed state. So you're able to give more of what your wife needs to be in a healthy state to then focus on the baby. So during a certain period of time, especially late term pregnancy and delivery and early, like right after the child is born, maybe the first year or so, the woman's world becomes that baby. And so her needs are often not met. So then it's up to family, especially the dude who's in her life to give her all of those things that she cannot do because she's giving everything, all of her energy in terms of her nutrients to this child, all of her time and attention. But you can't do that. What you're saying is you cannot do that if you're in a selfish state because you're just thinking about, well, you're always spending time with a baby. What about me? I have needs because you're yourself a baby <laughs> in that state. So I guess the question is, Benji, then what really changed between six years ago when you had your last baby and then this baby to allow you to have the bandwidth to focus not on yourself, but on your wife? Have you just been really investing a lot in your own personal development or 
what's the difference? Well, I think it, it's a compounding effect. At the surface, it's like having sexual integrity, having control over my, my sex drive so that when my wife who's breastfeeding our newborn and her breasts are awesome and I can't touch them because they are in pain. <laughs> There's a do not disturb sign on her boobs. I can't even, I can't, I can't even kind of look a few inches of them. Yeah, it sucks. But it's like, that's like the surface is like having sex on But what actually has led me to feeling this sense of selflessness with my drive, I would say it's because I feel more filled. I feel like a long, a long time, for many years, my wife and I were trying to seek love from each other when we didn't feel in a place to give it. And I think we've talked about this a bit, like you can't give love if you don't have love. And it kind of felt like we were both like zombies trying to eat each other. Just as a visual, it's like, if you're a zombie, you're not going to get any nutrients from another zombie. But that's what it felt like. <laughs> you need a human being to eat, to eat <laughs> zombie. Or at, maybe like a vampire trying to suck the blood out of another vampire. <laughs> um, so that's what it kind of felt like. And then... I realized I relied so heavily on my wife for love and comfort and affection. And that's not a bad idea. But the challenge for us is that she's not perfect. And she's not an unending source of love and affection because she does go through stuff. She does have pregnancy to deal with. She does have a baby to feed. She does have her time of the month, right? So I very practically was like, I need other people in my life. That's it. So I started reaching out to people around that time, like you, Uncle Dave, High Noon. I started reaching out to Sammy, my brother more. We talk every week. We've been doing that for a long time. I reached out to my dad. And so me and my dad have this relationship now where we talk more openly about just how we're feeling, which we didn't have before. And it's definitely not typical for a father and son, especially typically a Japanese dad, right? But we started doing that. And I was like, dad, like, I want to talk every week. Can we just have more frequently talk about how we're doing? And especially, I just need someone to talk with and just feel a little bit filled up. So essentially, it's like expanding my support system and the availability for me to feel just filled up, which is what I needed in order to kind of support my wife in a better way. And it was really that simple, honestly. Really, it wasn't complicated. It didn't require a lot of prayer or meditation. Of course, that stuff's great, but it really is just like, who in my world can I connect with more and just have more give and take with? Because it gives me perspective that I didn't see before. It's like, I remember talking with you when my wife and I were struggling in our sexual relationship for years. And I felt stuck. I felt judgmental. I felt I had a lot of hatred and anger towards her. And I talked with you and Uncle Dave and I was like, I had perspective. I was like, man, I'm the jerk. <laughs> like, I'm the issue. I'm, I'm a big part of the problem. I can't change. And it, that's what drastically changed our relationship is I had perspective that was, I would say, God's perspective. Something that's outside of just my own head, which in other words is self-centered. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, that makes sense. You didn't have nearly as much empathy because it's just your perspective based off of the feedback you're getting from your wife, but through the filter of your limitations. Whereas sometimes we need the idea of a John the Baptist figure is like somebody who can relate what that person is feeling who's not that person. So I could give you a different perspective about your wife because your wife, whenever she says anything, you only hear through the ears that you hear everything that your wife says to yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And so talking about home births, we did home births three times and it's very intense, you know, regardless. Because the first time we had midwife in a hospital and that was its own crazy ordeal. And then the second time we had it, our baby in a midwifery. And then the third time 
in our bed, the bed that I'm in the room in right now in my bedroom. And all three of them were intense in their own way. One was in a hospital and you're contending with hospital drama. There's always drama in any organization and hospitals, another organization. But the point is that I remember feeling like this is life or death, kind of like you were saying. And I have a tendency to worry. My brain shrinks when I'm worried or when I'm filled with fear. And then I am in a reactive state without my brain, which is basically like a chicken with its head cut off because you're useless. You're just a liability, which is probably why they used to disallow husbands from being in the birthing room, right? Because they're just a liability. Just like when you're a lifeguard and somebody's drowning, sometimes you have to punch the person out. Otherwise, they'll make you drown. Same thing. Just punch the husband out, choke him out, put him in a quarter. But it was so kind of life or death feeling that you realize the fragility of it all. You realize how fragile life itself is, that a human comes to this little passage. And then keeping that little fragile human alive requires so much fortune. And when there's no fortune, sometimes there's technology. If you're lucky enough to catch that, but like your wife, she probably would have died if this was a century ago. Think about that. And we're contending with all these emotions as very, in many ways, immature beings. And the extent to which you've worked on yourself is the extent to which you can, first of all, cope with the reality of the situation. And beyond coping would be doing something productive, which is not being a liability to your wife. I remember same thing as the older I got as I had kids, the more I was able to kind of be of use in the situation and not panic because in our last baby, it was in my ring, it was on my bed and the midwife at the last stage of birth was like, all right, here's the deal. Basically, our son had the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck twice and she's like, here's what you're going to do. Here's what I'm going to do because she's a pro. She's like, you're going to do like blah, blah, blah. And here's what I'm going to do. And I just totally united with her to fix the situation. They became out perfectly fine. But if I freaked out or if I yelled at her, and be like, what do you mean? How dare you? <laughs> you know, what? whatever we do when we freak out, it would have made everything exponentially worse. So just the fact that I had matured over those years, I was actually helpful. I was behind my wife, hugging her, supporting her. While she was focusing on her work, the midwife was doing her work. Everybody was doing their job. Just like you cannot function at work if you are an emotional basket case, you cannot do your job as a husband if you're an emotional basket case. So it really pays off to kind of invest in yourself. But in all honesty, I had a really deep talk about faith with this guy who's very serious and he was really harping on the point that you have to die in order to be reborn. and. If you think about that conceptually, it's like you have to really let your identity die, your old self die in order to become a new person. There's like the single version of you and then there's the dad version of you. And though they'll kind of resemble each other, they're actually going to be way different in the end because you take on a lot more responsibility if you're a real dad, if you take the job. But it is painful because you have to lose your identity as a single person guess what? Not as much free time, especially for the first couple of years, right? There's a little being that needs you more than anything, but it's worth it. And you can't do it if you're not willing to do it. And if you're not willing to put in the work. Grow. And you definitely won't enjoy it. I would not be where I am today, emotionally speaking, if I didn't have kids. That's a fact. 
exactly where I would be. You too. <laughs> but how many deaths did you have to experience of your old self for you to be this person that you are today is the point. It's like, a hard sell, but I committed to growth. We've talked about it. Like, yeah. I committed to growth yeah. and that, that's what I want. So I'll make that yeah. trading day. I would call it a sacrifice. I'd call it a trade-off rather than a sacrifice. Yes, you're giving up some things, but you're getting stuff in return. I think it's just we're in a circumstance in our society where ease of use and luxury take priority over growth, over sustainability, over anything. It's just like how Instagrammable. We were just at a zoo actually a couple of weeks ago and they get a lot of animals that people bought because they're cute on Instagram, but then they realize they actually have to take care of them. Like there's a hedgehog and like, oh my God, you have to feed this thing. Oh my God, it's kind of ugly sometimes. And they're just like, get it out of here, right? It's inconvenient. I thought it'd just be cute for pictures. And like some people have kids for that reason. Like, oh my God, we'll be able to have our gender reveal online and all this stuff. But they don't realize that it comes with some stuff. And that's actually the gift the gift never feels like a gift when you're being given it. It feels like a punch in the gut, but it's a gift from the cosmos because it's like, hey, this is your opportunity to level up and experience more love on the other side of this. But you're going to have to let go of some limitations and those limitations, they kind of hurt in the moment, but that's childbirth. And so, yeah, we're trying to do this because a lot of you are single still. A lot of you, this is like very hypothetical because you might not even have somebody in your life that you know, okay, I'm going to have a child with this person. In that case, if you're single or if you don't have any kids yet, just understand the reason why we're telling you this is because nobody talks about this stuff, really. We don't really get this perspective from films, television. We don't get a realistic perspective of how intense child rearing can be, but also I can say without a shadow of a doubt, the most intense spiritual experience I had was the birth of my first son because I could see that a child being born was the exact same experience as the universe being born. It was the same intensity. It was the same life or death experience. And I could see the entire creation from the Big Bang to that very moment in a flash. I saw it all in great detail in an instant. And I just cried and I wept like a child because I could experience God to such an intimate degree. And yes, it was intense, but it was the craziest, most beautiful experience I've ever had, right? So it's definitely worth it, but we don't hear this stuff because it's not spoken of a lot, if at all. So know that, yes, it can be difficult and any parent will tell you it can be difficult for sure, but it's the only gateway to God's heart and to the full realization of self is to go through the pathway of parenthood. Would you disagree? You want to have a debate about that or would you agree? I wouldn't disagree. I think there are some caveats. I think it takes intentionality and not being mindless about it. A lot of people can't say percentage, but a lot of people go through marriage, parenting pretty mindlessly. You know, it's like as mindless as bringing your phone to the toilet and going on Facebook without even notice you're doing that. It starts there. It starts with what are we doing with our time and our phones, really? And it ends with how intentional and mindful is our entire life? Or does it kind of just play out according to whatever the world or society is pushing us to? That's a very important caveat. No, I like that a lot because being a parent doesn't mean producing humans. It means it's a role. That's something that I'll never forget is like my kids have a name for me, Hawa, right? Which is dad in Mongolian. And it's not my name. It's my role to them. 
every time they say that word, it puts me in a position where, oh yeah, this is my dad hat. I'm their father. It's a role that I'm playing. And it's a commitment. Just like any job, you can go to any workplace in the world and there are good employees and there are slackers. <laughs> and obviously we can tell there's some people who are not up for the job parenting. But that's the thing is I can see clearly working with people in sexual integrity that there are just some people who are so resistant to the idea of intentionality because it requires them to care continually. And that's what humans need is continual care. So practicing sexual integrity is really practicing intentionality, which is fundamentally practicing continual care of whatever it is that you're doing. You know, to be honest, the last few weeks, having a baby, Iona is her name, by the way, <laughs> for everyone. I've been really, really up and down emotionally, kind of in a good way, like long-term in a good way. I'm learning new things about myself. And to be honest, being a parent has been the hardest thing I've ever done. I always have that like ingrained in my mind. Every, every time I'm really stressed or it's really hard, I always ask God, I'm like, why is this so hard? Why is this so hard? Why did you make it so hard? And it keeps going through my mind. Every time I do that, I've been in tears so many times the last many years. Like, why is this so difficult? Why can't it just be enjoyable? Why can't I just be happy in this parenting thing? The resounding response I get from God is always, I didn't make it to be hard. I made it to be enjoyable. You just have to access me and we can do it together. I always concluded that. Like when it, in my deepest prayers, it was just like, it doesn't have to be hard. I'm making it hard. And I feel like that's really the story of parenthood and marriage too, actually. It's supposed to be not easy, but enjoyable. <laughs> and enjoyable to the point where every argument is like an opportunity. It's like exciting. It's like great. We speak different languages. Awesome. Opportunity. We're from different countries. Awesome. Opportunity. We disagree on this thing. Great. You're different from me. Exciting. You grew up with no money and I grew up in America where we have tons of money. Opportunity. Great. Instead of seeing everything as like difficult. It's like my kid disagrees with me and fights and doesn't go to sleep. An opportunity to learn how to love and how to grow and how to teach a child. And that's where I want to go. And I'm always trying to be that. And it's been really hard the last three weeks, but I always, even like late at night, everyone's crying. The kids are crying. The kids come to our bedroom because Iona's crying and everyone can hear each other. And it's like stressful as hell. But I'm like, you know what? This is part of the process. And I think in 10 years from now, I will be grateful that I went through this and I would want to comfort my past self and say, hey, just enjoy the process. Everything will be all right. You're doing what you can. And it's hard, but think about the opportunity costs. When people say something's hard, like sexual integrity is hard. Doing the check-ins is hard. I always say, okay, what's harder? Doing this or being addicted your whole life. What's harder? Going to the gym or being fat and overweight and unhealthy your entire life and dying early. If it's hard, yeah, choose your hard. But in most cases, if we're thinking long-term, it's a lot easier to invest in sexual integrity. It's a lot easier to be a parent and experience the growing pains, quote unquote, in order to be the man that you want or woman that you want. That's actually easier long-term. It's just that everyone thinks short-term, which is why most people don't succeed with anything fitness, sexual integrity, health, business, whatever. It's people think short-term and not long-term enough. Maybe think long-term is like, actually, this is the path of least resistance. Even though in the moment, everyone is screaming, don't get married, don't have kids, sleep around because that's the easier path. No, that's the hard path. Eating junk food is the hard path. So choose your difficulty. It's like a game, like a video game, choose your difficulty alone. They're gonna be difficult and they're gonna be enjoyable, but you gotta choose it. And that's the beauty of life. So. I think for me, I choose to do the things that ultimately in the long term will grant me the most amount of happiness and growth because I know that that is what my happiness will come to. 
It's just, am I growing every day? And at the end of the day, can I say that I'm a better person than I was yesterday? Can I say I'm a better, more loving person than I was yesterday? And if so, that's the name of the game. That's the game of life that I'm playing and I'm choosing to play. So anytime that my wife and I have been in the pits of hell on our relationship, I put on that like mantra and I tattooed it to my head. It's like, if I'm loving, more loving than I am today than I was yesterday, then I'm winning the game. And that's the game I'm playing. So then it becomes not stress. Then it's not anxiety. Then it's actually liberating to think that this is part of life and this is what it's about. We always need to end on a video game analogy. It's our demographic. They'll understand. Yeah. The Dr. Robotnik at the end of each level is your limitations that you got to fight against and break through. So I hope it was helpful. If you do have kids, God bless. Let's stick together. Let's, <laughs> let's help each other out because it does take a community, right? Everybody does have limitations. We were never meant to just be isolated. And a lot of us are, to be honest. A lot of us have kids and we don't have grandparents close by to relieve the parents and let them sleep for a few hours, right? So we got to stick together. And if you don't have kids, just know that if you're investing in yourself, you're investing in your sexual integrity, it's going to pay dividends that you can't even fathom in the future. So just keep it up. Keep it up. And... We'll see you soon. And by the way, just by the way, Benji, we're getting a lot more people giving us feedback online, through Instagram, through various sources. And we just say, keep it up. Thank you guys so much for your support. We've been getting some wildly positive feedback continually from all sorts of people, different demographics. We love it so much. So keep it coming so that we can give you the good stuff each and every week. God bless your faces and your souls, everybody. Andrew Love here for one last announcement, and that is I encourage you to join our newsletter. We don't spam people. We give you the goods. We give you good quality information once a week in your email. And so we send out newsletters probably Saturdays mid-morning on average, and these are filled with blogs, the latest content, Everything you need to know in order to get through your week with high noon light. So let us light up your inbox. Join our newsletter by going to highnoon.org. It's all right there. It's super easy. We won't spam you. We just want to let you stay connected to this high noon providence. So go to highnoon.org and sign up for our newsletter.